You know, they advertise all these water-resistant phones, but nobody seems to advertise cake batter-resistant phones. That should be my million-dollar idea. It's brilliant. Hi, Instagram. Oh, hey, we are live, aren't we? We are live, so. talking about cake batter. Well, we are live on Facebook. Hello, Facebook. It's because we are the home of professional podcasting. This is blocking your face, I feel. That seems like an advantage. Mm. That's probably decent. All right. Somewhere in there. We're good. Hello, everyone. I feel super short in this chair. Do you want to switch? It's the same chair I'm always in. I just I just looked up and I'm like six inches short. Am I taller? You are. You're so tall. I mean, did the chair get taller, <laughs> not me? <laughs> I've been trying to get taller for 15 years. It ain't going to happen. I was I was the so tallest person. Your WNBA career could be ready to take off. I was the tallest person in my fifth grade class. Really? And then I stopped, and everybody else. Kept you know, going. Emma was a little like that. She was, you know, I was just looking on the screensaver on my computer. I get the pictures that come up and stuff, so we we'll see some of these gymnastics pictures. And she's taller than everybody. Yeah. Now they're all taller than her. So yeah. She's the same same yep. height. I also had that fifth grade was the year that I got um, braces and glasses at the same time, so I was. Real cool. Real cool. Good times. That when you had the uh, the headgear stuff. I did. I headgear was like a couple years after I got braces, and I only wore it at night. I'm always getting very frustrated with her retainers, and I'm like, well, talk to Stacy because she had a really good time with hers. I just didn't wear my retainers, (laughs) which is probably why my teeth have kind of gone wonky again. But. I got the clear ones, and I didn't like them. I would have rather had the metal ones yeah. that like slip in, because the clear ones are like really on each individual tooth, uh, okay. and they're very uncomfortable. Welcome to Orthodontic Talk with Rich <laughs> and Stacy. We're having a good time. Let's talk about. Eggs. Well, did they do their job? Is the question. Oh, yes, they did. So they completed the mission. And then I didn't do my job. So. I didn't complete Which it. is an important principle, because if everybody doesn't do their job, then the job doesn't get done. It's it, correct. It's, it's important. And I thought That's of why you, I didn't like group projects. I thought of you as I was talking about group projects, as I'm sure you expected. So group projects are a lot of fun. In fact, I have written down here on the sermon notes, illustration, group projects. You, know, the, you don't have there a lot of fun. Because <laughs> <laughs> that would be a Stacey lie from the Aaron devil. And Shelly love group projects. And, it's false. And the thing that makes group projects important and necessary is, is that in life, whether we're talking about the workplace or the family or the church, the reality is we have to work together. We have to work in teams, and we have to learn how to do that well. But what makes it extra frustrating, both in school and in life, is that more often than not, we don't do that particularly well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a small group of people carry the load. And that's not how the Lord intends it with the church. Never has been. So whether we're talking about uh, the church today, the church in the New Testament, or even pre-church looking at how God interacted with his people back in Genesis, even before Israel, God always deals with his people both individually and collectively. So he deals with his people as a people. He deals with us as as groups, as family groups, uh, as nations. Uh, but he, he never does that apart from dealing with us individually as well. I was just this morning uh, in my quiet time was um, walking and listening to uh, the book of Joshua. And they're talking about the story of uh, Achan's sin as they had 
they had just sacked Jericho, and it was awesome the way God made all this happen. Everything was just so decisive and clear. Uh, but in the process of that, one individual failed to keep the covenant, failed to keep the, the, the promise to God uh, to destroy everything and consecrate everything to God. Uh, and this man named Achan kept some of the goods for himself. And <clears throat> Later on when he's confessing, he's like, yeah, I saw this awesome robe and this shiny stuff, and so I kept it. And it brought a curse on the entire nation. So when they went against a much smaller force at the town of Ai, um, they're like, oh, these people are small, there's not much to them, don't take the whole army up, just take two or 3,000 people, we'll go and get this done. Bada bing, bada boom, we're home, right? They go there, and they end up retreating and running away, and in their, in their minds of how this plays out, they get slaughtered. They, they lost 36 people, which doesn't sound like a slaughter by comparison right. to what you're thinking of, but they're not used to losing at all. I mean, all, all they're doing under Joshua throughout pretty much the entire book, uh, this is like the only exception in the entire book of Joshua, they just win. All they do is win, 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 no matter what, what, what. So as they're going through this... That was too recent of a reference. Yeah, there's just, you know, nobody that's paying attention to our podcast that cares. <laughs> but anyway, uh, God is doing all of this stuff. And the whole focus that God is putting in front of them is, this isn't about you. This is about your faithfulness to me. And, and so as we are walking through this together, I will take these people out. I will, will do all the work. Except when they go to AI. And they go up there, and, and they're like, what happened? And Joshua's tripping. He's like, Lord, why did you even bother bringing us out of Egypt if we're going to fail like this? What's going on? And the Lord points out the sin. But what we see is God dealing with the nation and with the individual. The individual's sin, if I can say this, hurt the team. By not doing what he was supposed to do, it hurt the team. And so uh, they end up... Um, purging the camp of that sin by purging the nation of that person. So uh, God gives very specific instructions on how to handle that. Here in Acts chapter 14, now that we're, you know, like, what, 25 minutes into the podcast? Six minutes in. So we're... Not that bad. In, it's way better than usual. I mean, my goodness. <laughs> we're actually I'm, getting I'm actually, to the point. I'm kind of impressed. But uh, as as we see Acts chapter 14, um, it, it's coming full circle on Paul's first missionary journey. And it's really, we call it Paul's first missionary journey because in hindsight, we can look at it and see that Paul's kind of center stage for the, the majority of the book of Acts, the, the latter half, it's more than half. But, um, but it's really not his missionary journey. It's God working through the church. And so the church at Antioch send Barnabas, who is ostensibly their, their leader. He's the senior guy from Jerusalem who comes down, puts together this leadership team with all these, whether he actually actively did that or not, we don't know. But, um, but he appears to be among the experienced senior leaders trusted by the, the, the leaders in Jerusalem. Goes to Antioch, establishes you know sound teaching and, and good doctrine there. Uh, they have this leadership team. They have gifted people, uh, evangelists and, and prophets and teachers. And among them are, are Barnabas, who appears to be prominent among them, and Saul, who appears to be not so prominent because he's the new guy in a lot of ways. 
Um, and the Holy Spirit, in the midst of their, their worshiping and their fasting, at the beginning of chapter 13, says, set these two apart. I've got to work for them. I have a mission for uh, Saul and Barnabas. So they pray some more, they fast some more, they give them this uh, benediction as they lay hands on them and commission them and send them out. Because it's not, it's not up to Saul and Barnabas. It's not their job. It's the church's job. And God has set them apart to go and do this particular work, to go and accomplish this mission. But for them to do that as the advanced troops, so to speak, they need the support troops back home funding it, sending them, praying for them, uh, you know, doing all of the supporting roles that go along with it, or the whole thing doesn't happen. So then in chapter 14, which is what we focused on Sunday, we see them uh, in the last leg of this, they're, you know, they're in Iconium and they're having great success and then they're not and they're, they go from there to uh, Lystra and they have great success and then they don't and then they go to Derby and they have great success and it doesn't tell us that they don't but they they leave so you know who knows what's going on but when they do that they circle back through these cities go back to the places where they had just been persecuted where Saul was beaten and stoned and left for dead they go back to these places to support the churches that they've established there to establish leaders to appoint elders there to um, make sure that they're receiving sound teaching, to encourage them devotionally in their discipleship that, look, there's a hard road here. This is this Pilgrim's Progress, if you will. That comes up a lot since we're doing the Pilgrim's Progress study on Wednesday nights. But also because that's why we're doing it, is because right. we have to face many hardships on the road to heaven. And it, it's easy for us to look at that, and, and some uh, folks from various backgrounds have seen that and said, well, that's kind of our earning our way in. We have to pay the price. We have to pay our dues, so to speak, and all that kind of stuff, uh, which is not the biblical picture at all. It's not saying that you know, our, the, our means of getting to heaven is that, that we have to go through these hardships. And the more you suffer, the more reward you get. And there may be some principles that, that go along with that, mm -hmm. but that's not the point of what he's saying. What he's saying is, look at what just happened to us. We know that this is true. Everything Paul has ever said says you get to heaven the same way Jesus said, by trusting in him. He's the way, the truth, the life. Paul later says that you're saved by grace through faith, not of works. So there's no part of this that is you earn points with God or, or merit that gets you into the kingdom of heaven by your suffering, even by martyrdom. That, that's something that we make up later on. That's not what the Bible teaches. <clears throat> but it is inevitable. Jesus made it really clear, in this world you're going to have trouble. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they don't hate you, you might want to wonder about whether you actually belong to me. Right. So a servant's not above his master, so expect to be treated the way they treated me. And, and that whole idea goes into what Paul is going back and telling the churches. Look, it's good that you have knowledge. It's good that you have belief. But let me give you some preparation here. Let me, let me prepare you for what's ahead, for what you're going to see. And it's going to be rough. So buckle up, buckaroo, and you know, get your helmet on because you're going to have a, a rough ride here. And that's awesome. And we see over and over again with all this persecution, the, the disciples rejoice. The church rejoices. We continue to, to see this joy in suffering. And 
I think one of the reasons, this is a little sidebar, I guess, but one of the reasons that I think that the American church in particular, I can't speak to other places, I'm not there, but I think one of the reasons that we see the American church get so bent out of shape over small slights is that we're just not used to it. We're not used to persecution. And the prosperity gospel in particular in the last 70, 80 years or however long we've been dealing with that as a prominent movement, um, it, it's been around forever. You know, It's been around since before the church because this happened back in the book of Jeremiah. But uh, this idea that you know God wants you happy and, and if you follow God you'll always have everything go your way and if you have enough faith you won't get COVID-19 and you'll you know your your job will always uh, prosper you'll and have success and right your right. kids will turn out perfect your right. marriage will turn out perfect you'll have white and shiny teeth and your hair will never frizz out in the in the humidity or fall out in your old age um, were you talking about me <laughs> uh, <laughs> with the frizziness <laughs> It's, I, it's something I struggle I with. Does your hair frizz out in humidity? It does, I, majorly. I wouldn't have expected that with your hair being as, as straight as it's, it is. I straighten so. it. I did not know that. How about it's, that? It's naturally I've kind of ne- waving. I've never seen it not straightened, so I guess I never thought it's about that. It's from my emo so. days in high school. I can't not well, straighten it. Well, we've completely gotten off topic now. But anyway, the, that, uh, that tour back through that, that Paul takes is specifically because this is not a solo mission it's not just let's go evangelize we're going to share the gospel and then run away and i think far too often we have been guilty of that throughout the centuries where we'll come in and convert and then quit we Mm -hmm. would go back and hey we did our job you're in the door you're great but that's like you know getting married saying i do and having no effort put into developing a marriage. Well, and I think that's a big problem, especially, I mean, I'm only saying this because I'm in this generation, but with my generation, it seems to me that marriage has become something that seems very disposable. Mm. And I think more people might be getting married because of that, because it's so easy to get a divorce. Mm. It's not. but, but As a divorce right, woman. Right, right. But theoretically, say that comfortably, but I mean, so. if you have no children or whatever, then yeah, yeah it's pretty easy to get a divorce. Um, so then you see people with, you know, two, three, four, five marriages because it's just so easy to go through the process mm-hmm. uh, of, of getting married and thinking, well, this just doesn't work out. I can just get a divorce. Yeah. No big deal. Um, and it's, it's funny because when you say that, we've done that with everything. Well, that's we, what I'm saying. Yeah. So marriage is easy. Right. Not getting married is easy. Right. So there's there's no social pressure to right. do really much of anything. Right. You can shack up, live together outside of God's will and pretend to be married without being married. Same thing with uh, with careers. I just did an article. I wrote an article today that said the average person changes careers like twelve times now in mm. their life, and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not that there's anything. I wonder how I, that would compare to previous generations. Right. I have to assume that's a lot more. I, I, it sounded like a lot to me, um, just because. And the main reason was because someone's not happy at yeah. their job, obviously. So, and I'm not saying you should stay at a job where you're unhappy or that you there's a problem with switching careers. Uh, no, but it just but, speaks. I think to the underlying current there is everything is. If I'm not happy, I'm going to change it immediately. I'm right. going to. I'm not, if I'm not happy Rather here, than I'm going to change it. Out. Right. I'm not saying you should ride out a job that you're being treated horrible or whatever. Yeah. But it just seems to to fit with that mindset that if I'm not happy right now, I need it needs to change instantly. Yeah, I think I think you're right. You're you're onto something. Whether we're talking about marriage or careers or the church right. or finances or whatever, whatever else. You know, I've used my uh, my wife's parents, uh, Gary and Adrian, as an example of. Um, 
accumulating wealth the right way. Not that mm-hmm. they're wealthy or anything, but they, they're, you know, retired at a reasonably young age. They're, I mean, I think Gary was 58 when he retired from, from government work. Um, and people are staying at work longer now because yeah. they can't well, afford and, retirement. And the thing of it is, they didn't do anything super flashy. Right. It's not like they went out and made you know right. crazy money. He, he, he decided what he wanted to do, went to college to do that, got the job out of college, stuck with it for his whole career. Mm-hmm. And did he have times that probably wanted to quit? Well, of course he did. Who doesn't? You know, right. But... Slow and steady wins the race. I think about my grandfather. He worked in a foundry, and he'd come home, you know, black as coal, and he probably had lung issues and whatever. Right. I think he said on his death certificate that it had, he had lung cancer. He didn't even know about it. Right. Um, but he worked there, you know, his whole life. He got a pension so he could retire, yeah. and he stayed this course. And I'm sure he did not want to come home looking like that every night right. or being in a, you know, foundry and like that. Obviously, circumstances change. Right. You know, for, there are a lot of folks... In, in that industry say, over the a, years, a, a, as probably a generational thing. Things change, so you know now that we're in the information age. You know, if you were in manufacturing, maybe your job went away. There's right. there's there's just a, a lot of shifts that take place. So there are always reasons to or not to change. But what we're seeing in in so many ways is if it's hard, we don't stick right. with it. Right. As a coach, I see that in sports all the time. I, I had a coach. Once tell me, you know, boy, if we had more kids, we'd discipline that boy. No, you wouldn't. the The reality is, if you don't stick with your standards, you don't stick with your standards. It, it's pretty simple. So we, you know, we we go soft on people. Oh, man, I was just talking to somebody yesterday, who uh, uh, they are, are they own their own business. I said I'm, I'm probably way too soft on my employees, much more than I would have been. But people can't handle it anymore. Right. You can't tell somebody they're doing something wrong. Well, that's just it. Because if you do, they, out, they're, they're going to quit. quit. Right. And still change careers 12 times. And we do that in the church as right. well. We right. want we want the benefits of Christ right. without actually walking the path. We, we don't, you know, we don't get saved by our works. Well, but we don't get saved to sit on the couch. Right. And I know you've been, we've talked about it before, you've been criticized for, you know, preaching fire and brimstone or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of churches are kind of turning away from that. Uh, I, I, I don't even like to use the words fire and brimstone because it makes you feel, it, it, it puts a certain image sure. in your mind. But there's a difference Well, if you between, talk to people from another generation, they might think I'm liberal with the... Well, right. Of, so there's, there's, you have to tell the truth. I don't often get accused of being liberal. But, you you know. have to tell the truth. I mean, you have to say what's there. Yeah, that's the bottom line. Yeah. What, and, and what's in the book? You're not always going to want to hear it. It's not always going to be something that makes you feel great. Right. Uh, but that's that's the bottom line. Well, and that's why we want to do this podcast, right. is to be able to connect the reality of God to the realities of life. We live where we live, in the time we live, in the setting we live. We don't get to change that real, you know, on a grand scale. So... There are things that we can do to influence that. There are things we can do to, to impact uh, those things. But the bottom line is God's truth is timeless. It doesn't change. God doesn't change. Right. We Therefore, talked about it a couple weeks ago, the, the my truth, change. my reality. Right. That's that, not the case here. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't shift. Right. And so we need to be able to, to glean from God's word. What is he talking about here? What does God want us to see in this? What did he want the original audience whether they're hearing or reading right. what do you want them to to see in this and how do you want them to respond to that and then we can draw from that principles that we can then translate to our lives if that's what god was looking for 
then in that moment, understanding that God knows that it was for us as well, he wrote it, uh, if that's the case, then how do we take those principles and apply them to my situation in 2020, mm -hmm. sitting here in you know middle America, uh, in a, a church that's not much like culturally, not much like what we see in the first century. So how do we make those things happen? Um, and and that's kind of the, the whole point of why we do this. It's the, it's the whole reason that, that I'm a pastor. Why do, I, why do I preach? Why do I do this? Because it's the only thing that matters. I mean, there's, there's truth, and then there's experience. Right. And we got to get truth infused into that experience so that our experience can actually begin to line up with what is real, what is actually really living. And so uh, we want to try to bring something real to it. When we look at what happened in, in Acts 14, there, the, the local church in Antioch is participating in this global mission that Jesus had assigned to the, to the church at large saying you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in the surrounding area and then to the ends of the earth. He had at the end of Matthew said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching. <clears throat> but he says, make disciples of all nations. Mm -hmm. So the local church, <coughs> pardon me, I should have brought some water in. Uh, the local church has a global mission that starts at home and radiates out. My first priority must be as a husband and father my number one primary priority must be to pastor my family mm -hmm. i i need to share the gospel to preach the gospel to live the gospel at home because as a parent i have one job everything else is ancillary my one job is to teach my children about the lord so that i can bring them to the foot of the cross and give them a reason to want to believe. I have to give them the information they need. I have to teach them the truth. But I have to give them a reason to want that truth. And the rest is, is up to God. They have to make their own decisions. And the Holy Spirit, uh, is by His sovereign grace, can, can move in them and open their eyes. But we see the pattern. We see the commands. He does this when we are faithful. When we pass those things along. When we own our dependence on Him. And we pray for our children pray for our, our, our spouses and we, uh, as, a, as a husband in particular, I recognize that God holds me accountable. I am responsible for my wife and for my children spiritually. Um, and there have been plenty of times when my wife has carried me and, uh, and that's part of how this whole thing goes, but one way or another, I'm responsible for that. We all in our family have a role in that. Same thing then in my, in my neighborhood, in my community. I have a job to do as a Christ follower to be an example of who Christ is with my actions and with my words because nobody gets saved by your example. Mm -hmm. They can only get saved by the word of the gospel being shared with them. So at some point, you have to transition from letting people see you and say, oh, wow, I want something you know, right. from that person. I, I see a life that's different and I want that to actually having a gospel conversation that's you know so what's why is your life this way why is it that when everything's falling apart you're not freaking out why is it that you know in the midst of you know all of the injustice in the world and pandemics and government overreach and blah 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 all these different things 
Why aren't you freaking out? Why are you able to stay calm? When, you know, when you're stressing naturally in the flesh over things like, you know, um, shared parenting time, you know, all, all those kinds of things that can really wreck you. And, and we all have it. You seem different. There's a hope. There's an anchor there that, that isn't like other people. Why? And I have to be able and ready to give a reason for the hope that we profess, whether I'm planning on it or not. You know, there's sometimes, right. you know, when, when, uh, when we're told to, to be ready in season and out of season, <clears throat> well, in season is Sunday morning. I better be ready to, to preach. That's when it's expected. That's the appointed time. When I set an appointment to meet with somebody for counseling, appointed time. You see someone in the grocery store, you know. That's... Right. That, that out of season time right. when it's not expected, now I better be ready. Right. If it's not, if it's apple picking season, you're ready to go pick apples if you have an orchard. If you don't, then you probably don't care. If it's not apple season, but you see that, um, but you see that for whatever supernatural reason, God has caused these apples to be ripe today. Well, that's a month early. That's not that's not time, or three months early or whatever. It's out of season. Well, guess what? You better get them picked. You better figure out a way to be ready. Same thing happens in in sharing our faith. We must be ready, always, mm -hmm. even when it's not expected, to be able to share the reason that we have hope and peace. What is it that makes a difference? And then on a global scale as well. So you know, we talk about missionaries, and I, and I think. In our consumer culture, in our uh, consumer churches, I just heard Tony Evans say in a, in a sermon that uh, most people attend church selfish, not church service. Mm -hmm. that, that our idea is I'm going to go get something Look, from right, this right. rather than what am I giving to this. And when we're talking about global missions, I, I fear that far too often we as the church think of that as something that those people do you know that that, right. that missionary they're going to go boy i'm sure excited about them and proud of them but that's not the picture that we see here the picture is we the local church have this global mission i have the same mission that that um, suzanne our missionary to hungary keith and heather our missionaries to costa rica and the reservation in, uh, in south dakota um, and the Shrocks are missionaries to, uh, to Mexico. I have the same mission as they do. I have a different role in that mission. Right. My role is the, the support, the prayer, uh, whatever is, is needed uh, as a pastor to maybe drum up support, you know, the, all those different things. Their job is to be there in that locality. So all of us, just as we see here in Acts 14, have a role in that mission. Those who sent Paul and Barnabas back in Antioch pray for them. They send their blessing with them. They're mentally and emotionally invested in these people, mm -hmm. which means that, as we see over and over again in the book of Acts, if I'm mentally and emotionally and spiritually invested in these people, then I am automatically, it follows, that I will be financially and fiscally invested in these people. Right. If I'm not then I'm not really that emotionally connected with them. I don't have the, the affection for them. I don't have the priority for that aspect of the mission. Because when you care about something, by default, you always put your money where your mouth is. Mm -hmm. If not, you don't really believe in that. That's why Jesus said where your heart is, your treasure will be. And that 
or where your treasure is, your heart will be. It, it, it goes both ways. You know, if you, whatever I'm invested in, I'm going to care about. Whatever I care about, I'm going to be invested in. So we see that dynamic in the church as well. And so we need to recognize that every single person, every member of the church needs to be involved in mission. Some people can give a lot of money to that. Right. And then you should. Some people can give a little money to that, and then you should. Some people are called to actually go and, and do it. Now, the reality is there are fewer of the goers mm-hmm. than there are of the senders. But we always need more goers. And that's what, what uh, Jesus said. It was our, our memory verse for the, uh, for the week. We were looking at, at uh, Luke 10.2. <clears throat> I had to check on my sheet because I had a couple of different memory verses that we were wrestling with. And, and in Luke 10, 2, he, he tells the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So most of these people that he's talking to are going to be goers. Some of them are going to be senders, but one way or another, they need to be praying, asking, Lord, send me, send us, send workers, because they're they're white with harvest as the king james would say they're they're ready they're ripe to be brought in and so when we look at this world that's falling apart going to hell in a handbasket literally going to hell figuratively with a handbasket they uh as as we see this stuff going on all of the social justice stuff in the world is not keeping one person out of hell right that doesn't mean that we don't work for justice that's what we do in the name of the lord that's what we're called to we we need to uh to act justly and to love mercy mercy and to walk humbly with our god and if we're going to reflect the character of jesus then we need to demonstrate in physical material ways the spiritual realities of god's compassion and that's important but none of that's going to change anybody's eternal destiny so we can protest about racial injustice we can you know get involved in politics we can stand for all the right true good things but if we're not sharing the gospel the actual gospel that you're dead in sin and you have zero hope period apart from jesus christ taking that sin on himself dying in your place and mine to appease the wrath the righteous wrath of a holy god rising from the dead with us in tow so that we who are his by faith, children of promise, can become children of God. If, if we don't have that message, then everything else is for naught. Right. Because eventually you die. And then what? So this short period of time that we have on this earth that we keep fighting for, if we are not participating in the global mission of the church, then we are not participating in the one thing that matters and will last for eternity. We will end there so we don't go <clears throat> too far over time like we usually do. Uh, do you have any closing thoughts? You do, but I'm not going to let you <laughs> Well played. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. Uh, if you want to send us an email or if you have any questions as usual, uh, something real at reallifeonline.org.org.org. Dot com. Dot org? Dot org. Dot org. It's still dot org. Thank you guys for listening. And, Panic uh, for a minute. Didn't I you? did. Yeah. I didn't want to give misinformation. Thanks again. See you later.